Let us gather around the word of the Lord today. And we're turning this morning to 1 Samuel, the first book of Samuel, and the chapter 15, please. 1 Samuel and chapter 15, and we're going to read a few verses together, and then we're going to ask the Lord to come and minister to our hearts, uh, that He would come and speak to us today, uh, that there would be a word in season for our heart. And that's what we need, just to settle in His presence and to hear His voice, that we would not only be spoken to, but we would be changed, and we would go on with the Lord, even as a result of what He would have to say, say to us this morning. First Samuel, and chapter 15, please, and verse, verse number 1. And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for them in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, now go, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, and sheep, camel, and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Samuel came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havel unto thou comest ashore. That is against and over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. I want you to mark that little word. He took him alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and, and of the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all all night. Here was a man now with a broken heart. And when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, in the morning it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said unto him, 
What meaneth then the, the bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, or the word is stop. He said, Stop. Stop, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not me at the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee to be king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And have brought Agai, king of the Amalekites. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, he's starting to blame the people now. But the people took the spoil. The sheep and the oxen, the chief of those things which should have been utterly destroyed. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is, is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Here's something for you just to note, that stubbornness is a sin. And God said that stubbornness is as iniquity of idolatry. Stubbornness. Did you ever ask someone to do something and they said, I'm not going to do it? Has anyone ever asked you and I to do something and there's that reluctance in our heart to do it? Stubbornness is an iniquity of idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned and have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy word because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected thee from being, being king. Verse 32. Then Samuel said, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went unto his house at Gibeah. 
of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the days, the days of his, his death. And let us just bow in a moment of prayer, please. Father, we bow before thee this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your word that lies open before us today. And Lord, as we gather just for these moments together, we pray that you would come, Lord, and minister to our heart. We pray this morning for that consciousness of God. We pray today, Lord, that you would do a work in all of our hearts. We pray that you'll go beyond the exterior crust of our life, Lord, and go down into the very root, the very kernel of our being. And we pray that even today that the gracious Holy Spirit will come and move and speak to us. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to thee, Lord. We realize that vain is the help of man. We can't, Lord, depend on our ability. We can't, Lord, even depend on what we know. But we cast ourselves completely upon thee. We pray for that fresh anointing, Lord. We pray for that authority, that delegated authority from the throne of God. We pray against the powers of darkness. Pray in Jesus' name as we take authority over every spirit that is contrary to the Holy Spirit this morning. We pray that you would invade, Lord, and have your way and glorify thy precious name. We ask it for Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. In 1992, there was a man by the name of Stephen Merritt. He was a songwriter. And he penned a song, and it was entitled, The Saddest Story Ever Told. There's been many sad stories down through the history of time. There's many sad stories in the Bible. And yet as we turn to this man, Saul, that we're going to think about for a moment or two this morning, 3,000 years before Stephen Merritt ever penned his little song, I believe that the saddest story ever told was told here by Saul, the first king of Israel. He was the man that rose so high and then he fell so low. The children of Israel had made their way from Egypt. They came through the 40 years of the wilderness years they came across Jordan and they came into the land that flowed now with milk and honey. They had men like Joshua. They had men and women like the 12 and the 13 judges in the book of Judges. They had men like Eli and indeed even Samuel. And yet there came a moment in the life of the children of Israel when they said, now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. And what was happening was this, they weren't content with just the guidance from God. They wanted a man. They wanted a man to instruct them. They wanted a man to lead them and to guide them. And that's exactly what the world is looking for this morning. The world is looking for a man. The EU this morning is looking for a man. Gaza is looking for a man. And sad to say, in most places today, the church is looking for a man. Whenever Samuel heard this petition from the children of Israel, Samuel mourned. He was cut to the very heart. 
Why would it be that men and women that were led and guided by the hand of God for so long now wanted to forfeit the whole thing and they wanted a man just to rule them and to reign them like any other nation? The word from God that came to Samuel was this. They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. Imagine God saying that to his people. And if you go through the history of Israel, there's some things that occur again and again and again. The first thing that the children of Israel always seemed to do was this. They seemed to reject the God of heaven. They got used to him. They got used to his provision. They got used to his guidance. They got so used to the blessing of God upon him and upon them that there always came a pivotal moment in their history. It happened again and again and again when they rejected the God of heaven. And then not only did they reject him, they always went a stage further and they rebelled against him. That no matter what his word said and no matter how long he pleaded and no matter how long he yearned for them to return, once they rejected him, then they rebelled against him. They went another stage and they always removed him. They turned to the gods of the Philistines. They turned to the gods like Balaam and Ashtoreth. And not only did they remove him, they replaced him. They wanted a man. They wanted someone else to take the throne. And you know the saddest thing about this this morning, as I've been meditating on this chapter over the past week, was God gave them what they wanted. Do you know, my dear people, this morning, one of the greatest judgments that's found in the New Testament is when God gives people exactly what they want. We read about that in Romans chapter 1. Whenever God is looking at the nations and the sin of the nation, and the Bible says, and Paul said, he, he gave them over. He took away the restraint. As it were, God just pulls the handbrake off and my, he just lets them go and he lets them do. My, they, they wanted so much and God says you can do. You know, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, and maybe you're just longing to get away from the protection of your family, looking to get away out into the world and looking to enjoy the pleasures of sin and you're tired of the Christian influence upon your life and you, you just want to get going and you just want to cut loose, as it were, from all that your parents would seek to win you from the, for the Lord. And you say, oh, I don't even want to go to the house of the Lord this morning. And maybe there would come a moment in your life when you would say, God, just leave me alone. I can tell you this. It'd be a sad day if he ever did that. And he might. He might just come to that place even today where you say, Lord, I don't want to get saved. I don't want anything to do with the gospel. I don't want anything to do with the blood. Would you just leave me alone? And just like Esau, many years later he sought it with tears and with repentance, but he couldn't find it. You know what can happen to the backslider too? Sometimes whenever you and I are cold in heart 
And we have lost the love for the Word of God, and we have lost the love for the people of God, and we have no desire to spend time with God, and we get indulged and enveloped in the things of the world, and we want our goods, and we want our gold, and we want our possessions, and we want our popularity and our fame. And you say, God, would you just, would you just stop convicting me of my backslidden state? God can do that. God can do that. And here he gave the people what they wanted. I wonder this morning, is there something that you want God to do? And it's his mercy and grace that he hasn't given it just yet. I'm sure everyone here this morning knows something about this man Saul. This first king of Israel, the son of Kish, this man from the tribe of Benjamin that was head and shoulders above all of the people. The Bible says that he was a choice young man. He was a goodly young man. The Bible says that there was none as goodly as he. And one of the things that really pricked my heart when I read that during the week was this. It says that he was goodly. But it never says that he was godly. And you know, my dear people, this morning it's a wonderful thing to have an aspiration to be godly. It's a wonderful thing to have it down in our heart that I don't want to be like the world. I just don't want to be like everyone else. The problem with Israel here is they just wanted to be like everyone else. But oh, that God would put a burden in our heart. Lord, whatever you do with me, would you make me godly? Make me godly. I'm sure we've all had those opportunities in our life whenever we've met men and women of God. And there's an aroma about them of another world. They don't have to say anything. They don't even have to pray, but there's something of another world comes with them. There's the aroma and the fragrance of heaven. And it's sad to say concerning Saul, he was good but he wasn't godly. And I've been challenging my own heart. And I'm going to throw it to you this morning as we go through this chapter together. Would that be an epitaph that people could say about you and I? Oh, he may be good and she may be very goodly. She's good at this and he's good at that. But I wonder would a man and woman out in the world ever have to come to the place and say, that they're beyond being good. There's something godly about that person. There's something about them whenever they come that God seems to come. Oh, wait to the God that He would put that burden in all of our heart. Now, it's interesting whenever you study the life of Saul that the Bible says that all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established to be the prophet of the Lord. Alexander White, that great expositor, he said this, Every man, woman, boy, and girl in the days of Saul knew Samuel personally. Samuel went round in a circuit. He went round judging the people of God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl would have sat at the feet of Samuel at least once every year. 
And even Saul's servant, he knew Samuel. Whenever the, whenever the lost, the asses, my, it was the servant of Saul that said, there's a man of God in this city. And the saddest thing about Saul is this, that while everyone else knew God's man, Saul didn't. He didn't know. He never met Samuel before because whenever he went into the city of Samuel, he came to Samuel himself, the very man of God. And this is what he said. He said, would you show me where the man of God lives here? And Samuel had to say to him, he said, yea, I am the man of God. And that tells me this, that Saul was so occupied in his early life with his father, making money and breeding cattle and breeding asses, that they had no time for God. No time for God. His father's name is Kish, and here's something interesting for you about this man. His name means bent, crooked. And I wonder as Kish brought up Saul and as they got enveloped in the farm and as Samuel went round in a circuit every year, round and round and judged the people of God, I wonder did, did Kish say to Saul, you know, we better not go to see the man of God. We'd better not go because you know that we're not running this business right. We're crooked. There's a bend in our dealings, and if we go to see Samuel, he'll bring it all out into the open. And I wonder this morning, was there something that was put in the heart of Saul that he inherited it from his father, that in later years he was going to ruin his life, destroy his testimony, wreck his family, and even affect the whole nation? And that's a challenge to all of us as parents this morning. That we would live godly and righteously before our children. Because whenever you and I got a child, what God gave us was a blank piece of paper. And it's up to us to fill it in. Saying all of that, God called this man. This young man saw that was head and shoulders above the nation. He didn't know the man of God. He had never met him before. He was so occupied with his business. God chose him. God called him. God crowned him. And then God commissioned him. And that's a wonderful picture this morning of salvation. That no matter how bent we may be in sin, thank God he can make the crooked ways straight. Thank God that the Lord can come and do in our heart and he can straighten the whole matter of sin out. And here God lays his hand upon this young man, Saul. And you get a chance when you go home, you read what God did for Saul. In chapter 10, Samuel said to Saul that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and God will make thee into a new man and thou shalt prophesy. God changed his personality. He made him a new man. God changed his authority because the Holy Ghost came upon him. God went on to change his very ability. He went on to do what he had never done before. And my dear unsaved tonight, this morning, whenever God gets a hold of your life, he can change you from the inside out. And even as a believer this morning, God can change us. He can change us from the inside out because this man's soul was made a different man. The Bible says in chapter 10, as Saul turned to walk away from Samuel, 
God gave him a new heart. He was a new man. Now, having said all that again, here was this man Saul. Now he was commissioned by God. He was crowned by God. He was chosen by God. He was changed by God. But he never maintained what he attained. And I'm sure this morning as believers, can, every one of us can identify with that. Ah, there's times in our lives when God becomes so real. Times when God really takes a dealing in our heart. Times when God manifests His power. And my, He seems to change us. He seems to shape us. He seems to do a real work deep down in our soul. And it's a pivotal moment in our life. But how many of us ever maintain that? You see, there were things that crept back into Saul's life again that God put out. Saul was intoxicated by pride. He was taken over by greed. He, he was filled with envy and dishonesty and even jealousy. And the ground that God gave him, he lost it. And I fear this morning in the evangelical church in Northern Ireland that there's been so many times in the, in the hearts of God's people that out of His mercy and out of His grace He has drawn near and He's moved us and He's wooed us, but we have never ever went on to maintain what God has given us. And maybe even this morning as we sit in the house of God, you say, Lord... I can identify with that. There was times when I was so near to you than I am today. There's times, Lord, when your word was fresher than what it is today. And we go on through our life and we get so occupied and we, we get so busy. I've been going through the life of Evan Roberts recently. That young man that was mightily used in the Welsh revival. And he said a thing that struck me to the heart. You know what he said? He said, I knew that I was no longer on the ground that God used to give me. I was no longer enjoying the things of God when the cross brought no tears to my eyes. He said, whenever I could think of Calvary and not weep, he said, I knew that I had lost ground. The tears. Now, Saul's on the throne. He's on the throne of Israel and all the people are there. He has possessions. He has his power. He has his position. And then God does something that he does with all of his people. And he maybe has been doing it with you in the last number of days. He starts to test Saul. Oh, this young man has been elevated now and he's been brought, as it were, from the farmyard and he's sat on the very throne and God has called him and anointed him and blessed him. But my dear believer this morning, no matter how great the blessings and no matter how good the faithfulness of God, there's always times in our life when God will test us. And I would love to have seen that old man Abraham as he was way on in his later years in Genesis chapter 22. And it says of, of Abraham that he lay in the door of his tent and God came and tested him. Because sometimes the tests of God, they can be severe, you know. And no one else can know anything about it. 
And here God starts to test Saul. And you know the story very well. The Philistines, they come and they have their hosts there outnumbered and outnumbering the sand upon the seashore. And Saul sees the army gathering. And Saul, as a farmer, he knows that you need to take the opportunity when it comes. But Samuel told Saul this. He said, don't you do anything until I come. I'm going to come after seven days and I can see Saul. He sees the Philistines are coming now. The enemy's gathering around him and he waits one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days and Samuel doesn't come. And he breaks. He jumps the gun too quick. And what he does is he calls for a sacrifice and he offers unto God something that he could never do. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't allowed to do that. And the Bible says as soon as he offered the sacrifice, Samuel came. And if he had awaited but half an hour, God would have blessed him. And he failed on the first test. And Samuel came to him and he says, Saul, Saul, what have you done? Could you not just wait? Could you not just heed the word of the Lord? And Saul, he says, oh, I forced myself to do it. He didn't. I had to do it. My dear people, maybe God's making you wait for something now. And the opportunity, as you see it, is almost going to go. And you're saying, well, God hasn't come yet, but I'm going to take the opportunity now. My dear people, you could just jump the gun half an hour too quick and blow the whole thing. That's what Saul did. He didn't wait. He did something that he wasn't allowed to do. You see, Samuel was a Levite. He was the man for the job. And here Saul, he fails on the first test. The opportunity comes and the opportunity goes. I tell you, my dear people, we all know something, I'm sure, about moving too quick. Whenever Abraham was told by God that he was going to have a boy and he was going to have a, have a seed, that there were going to be a nation that would touch the world, and he, he looked at his own body and my, the opportunity was gone. And he looked at the, at the body even of his wife Sarah and she was getting old and past the years of childbearing. And he jumped a gun and he took the thing into his own hand and he had Ishmael. And for 13 years, God never spoke to him again. And my dear people, let me tell you this. Whenever God says something, just you do it. And it's hard to wait, I know it is. Hard to wait. You see, this man Saul, he jumped the gun and he did something that he shouldn't have done. And in chapter 14, it says that Saul drew nigh unto the Lord, but the Lord answered him not that day. Heaven now was silent because he disobeyed the word. And you know, I have lay on the floor of my own study during the week and I said, Lord, how many times have I not done that? How many times, Lord, have you not spoke to my own heart to, to hold back or to, to just refrain from activity and don't put your hand on it, but out of impatience and my one looking to take the opportunity and do it. Oh, Lord, I'll have to do it. And you make a mess of it. 
for 14 years, God never spoke to Saul. 14 years Saul was on the throne. God blessed him. God provided for him. God protected him. For 14 long years, God came to this man and just watched everything that he did, wondering would Saul ever change. And for 14 years, I'm sure God come along through the prophet Samuel and maybe revealed something from the Word and said, Saul, do it. And for 14 years, he was being scrutinized by God. Do you know, my dear people, this morning, God just doesn't watch us in His house. But all things are open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Every moment, as Keith Daniel used to say, every moment of the day, we sit the exam with God, and if we fail the exam one day, we'll resit it the next. And Saul, for 14 years, God was watching him and observing him, and opportunity after opportunity came for Saul to really show the Lord that he was going to obey him, he was going to fulfill the calling upon his life. Then chapter 15 comes. Now, chapter 15 is not God's second chance to Saul. That's what I used to think for years. My, he disobeyed in chapter 13, and in chapter 15, God gave him a second chance. But that's not right. Because God is not the God of the second chance. God gives three chances, four chances. Oh, he goes on to the 20th and the 30th and the 100th chance. He's gracious and merciful and slow to anger. This is not Saul's second chance, but I'll tell you what it is. It's Saul's last chance. This is his last chance. Fourteen years God's been dealing with this man. Fourteen years God has changed him and given him a new heart and give him a call and says, Saul, go and do it. And for 14 years, God seems to watch him and observe him and there doesn't seem to be any change. And then God comes for the last chance. The last chance. And here in verse 1, cast your eye to it this morning as we draw to a close. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people Israel. Now, Put a ring around that word now. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. The English translation doesn't do this justice. You see, if Samuel was standing here in this pulpit and he was using the Hebrew that he was using, you know what it really means. He says, Saul, I'm begging you now. I'm pleading with you. I'm getting before you as a man of God. Whatever you do, don't blow it this time. Don't blow it. This word hearken here is the word not just to hear, it's the word to obey. Saul heard many things, but he didn't obey many things. Now, I'm not going to be your judge this morning. I will be my own. But I'm sure every one of us can identify with that. That God comes in James and he says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To be not a hearer of the word, but a doer also. 
And there's no more blessed people, I can tell you, in the north of Ireland than this congregation here today. And we have heard the word year in, year out. And I can only identify with my own heart how much of it have I heeded. I've heard it, but how much of it have I heeded? And Samuel comes now, he's an old man, and he comes to Saul 14 years later, and I, I think he must have took the king by the hands, and he said, Saul, I'm begging you, whatever you do, obey God this time. I think Samuel knew it was his last time. I think Samuel knew that this was God's last opportunity to Saul. And my dear unsaved this morning, let me tell you, there comes a time in God's calendar when there's the last call. You'd say to me, prove that. It said that the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, but there came a moment when the clouds burst, and there came a moment when the door shut. It comes not only in the life of the unsaved, it comes in the life of the backslider because sin can come into the heart and we can be involved in some sin and God can convict us and say, no, you need to stop that thing. But we play with it, we flirt with it. My, we, we, we keep it on a leash, as it were, and say, oh, I enjoy it, I can handle this thing. But there came a moment in the life of Samson whenever he shook himself and got up out of the bed of Delilah, and the power that he used to have, he didn't have it anymore. It was the last chance. It can happen in a ministry. It can happen to a church. The church at Ephesus was a model church, and the Lord says, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, or else I will remove your candlestick. And you could go all around the world this morning and see evangelical churches, but you'll not find an evangelical church in Ephesus today. Because it was the last chance. I think we have forgotten about that. I think even as the people of God, we've forgotten something of the seriousness of God's Word. That this old book this morning is not just an a la carte menu that I can pick and choose what I want, but oh, something that God, the Holy Spirit, has been laying on my own heart. And he said, Stephen, if you want to really go into a new place, I'm looking absolute, complete obedience from thee. Not partial obedience. 100% now. And I know that costs, my dear people, I know that. But rather, oh, please God and offend men and offend God and please men. And here Samuel comes to Saul and he says, look at it again. He says, therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that Amalek did, a, he did to Israel how he led wait for them in the way when they came up out of Egypt. I haven't got time to go through the story this morning. My, as the children of Israel came up, my, they were coming through the wilderness in chapter 17, 17 of the book of Exodus, the Bible says that Amalek came. And he came round the back. Amalek always had a mother and child policy. They always went after the mother and the child. And there's still the Amalekites about today. 
And the Amalekites, they came, and the Bible says, you remember how Moses went up onto the, onto the mountain there, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands. And you look at the last verse of that chapter 17. Do a little homework whenever you go home. You'll not get it in the King James, but you will get it in the AV. You know the reason why God was going to have war with Amalek all of his days? In verse, the last verse of Exodus 17, it says this, God said, that Amalek had his hand on the throne of God. Amalek put his hand and touched God. Put his hand on the throne. And I think there's a significance in that because there was another man put his hand to the throne. Moses. And the question I want to ask you, dear people, this morning, as I've asked my own heart, and I ask it to you this morning as a servant of God, from, from, from the presence of the Lord, with a word in my heart, I wonder, is there anything on the throne of your heart this morning that ought not to be there? You see, Amalek put his hand on God's throne. Oh, I can tell you, and God wanted him to deal with it. In verse 2, he says, I remember, and God doesn't forget too easily, let me tell you. Now, this is what I want to say. There was a mandate that Saul received. God told him to go and destroy all of the Amalekites, all of the cattle and all of the sheep, the women, the oxen, the infant. Every man was to be slain. And Saul went and he gathered the people. But he kept the king alive. He kept the king alive. And my dear people, this morning in all of our hearts, I'm sure we can identify with that, that there's so many times the enemy can come and so many things can infiltrate into our lives and we can remove this thing and we can remove that thing and we can take this thing away that maybe has started to stifle our devotional life and things that have crept in, attitudes that we never used to have, words that we start to use, my desires that we used to no longer have, but now they've flooded the soul and things that God used to do for us my, we've lost the ground with God and there's an Amalekite on the throne. And Saul had to kill him, but he kept him alive. He kept him alive. The very thing God told him to deal with, he didn't do it. He dealt with all of the, the refuge and all of the bad animals and all of the, all of the animals that were lame and he dealt with all of the people, but he kept the king of the Amalekites alive. He didn't want to touch him because I think, I think the king brought him some pleasure. Whenever Saul was sent to deal with the Amalekites, he was sent to get victory over them. Now, just look for a little moment in chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 47. It says something about the enemies that Saul faced. In verse 47, so Saul took the kingdom of Israel and fought against the enemies on every side. He talks about Moab, Ammon, Edom, and the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned, he, he vexed them. You see that word vexed there? It's the word he, he got the victory over them. He defeated every one of them. But look at the next verse. In verse 48 it says, And he gathered an host and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of their hand. You see that word delivered there? It's the word not to get victory over. It's the word to retreat away from. He never got victory over the Amalekites. There was something in Saul's life 
that he was afraid to touch. There was something that he never dealt with. He dealt with Moab. He dealt with Ammon. He dealt with the Philistines. He dealt with Edom. He got the victory over them. But he turned away from Amalek. Do you not think this morning that it's significant? Whenever Saul went to battle and fought on Mount Gilboa, that whenever Saul was there, and it says the archers, they put the arrow in the bow and they pulled the bow to venture, that they struck Saul. And whenever Saul was lying, dying on the hillside of Gilboa, you know who killed him? It was an Amalekite. The very thing that Saul was meant to deal with, he didn't. And that very thing in years to come killed him. And maybe, my dear people, this morning, there's just one person here, and there's a sin in your heart, and it's starting to get a hold of you, and it grieves your heart, and it vexes your soul, and God has come to you in the last week, and he says, you'll need to nail that thing. You'll need to nail it. And maybe we deviate away from it and we never do it. My dear people, if you don't deal with it, it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your testimony. And even like King Saul on the hillside of Gilboa, he said, I have played the fool. The Amalekite was still alive. You see there in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 15, it says, And the strength of Israel, and some of you have it in your margin, You'll have a little letter beside the word strength there. It's the word victory. You see victory? That's the first time victory is mentioned in the Bible here. That's a name for God. That's God's name is victory. Victory is not a thing. Victory is not some secret commodity that we pray, Lord, give us the victory. Victory is a person. It's God himself. That word strength there, the strength of Israel, is the victory. He can give the victory. And my dear people, no matter what it is, and it's not really the big things, I'm sure there's no prostitutes here. I'm sure there's no drug addicts in the lifeboat, but maybe there is some of us here this morning have got a critical heart, and it's Amalek. And maybe some of us here this morning, oh, we've got something of unforgiveness in our soul. Amalek. And maybe there's something in our heart, oh, there's venom there, and Oh, there's pride that rises and there's, there's a viciousness. My, when people say something against us, we boil and bubble in our heart. Amalek's on the throne. But thank God, my dear people, that God can give the victory. You see, the Amalekites, they were nomads. They, they just went round and round and round. They lived in tents. They popped up here and then they popped up there. You didn't know where they came from, but they always went down into the valley. That's why in verse 5, Saul went down into the valley to fight them. The Amalekite always gets well dug in. Well dug in. And it takes a lot of fighting to get him out. And my time has beaten me this morning. But there's not only the mandate that Saul had, there was a mistake that Saul made because he destroyed so many things. But he left the problem alive. He never kneeled. King Agag, it says in verse 9, but 
But Saul and the people spared him. And my, I can tell you, my dear people, it was a compromise that cost Saul his testimony. It lost him his throne. It even went on to lose his life. And if you and I, and I'm talking to myself this morning primarily, is this, if you and I compromise on God's word, it gives the ground for the enemy to take it. And maybe it's just something that God has been saying to your own heart in the last days. Some area of obedience. Some area of restitution, some area of surrender. The call of God is on your life and God wants to do something and you'll half-heartedly do the job like Saul but leave one issue untouched and that very thing might bring you to your own Mount Gilboa. And he compromised the word of God. It was deliberate and it was detected. God saw it. Now let me ask you this this morning. Is there a man here and you've started to compromise in your marriage? Those vows that you took so many years ago, sir, whenever you wouldn't look upon another woman and you would love your wife to death, do you part? But there's a Malachite on the throne and you haven't dealt with that Amalekite of lust yet. And you're going to compromise your marriage now. Maybe there's a young person here and you're in a relationship. And you've got to know your boyfriend or your girlfriend very well. I wonder, are you going to compromise your purity? Where it goes too far and it goes beyond what anyone else knows about. But the God that saw Saul sees you and I here today. Are you going to compromise your integrity? Maybe there's some of us here this morning and we've started to compromise the intimacy that we used to have with God. My, those sweet hours. Those moments when God came so near and there's been one thing after another comes and the work comes and the money comes and the the busyness of life comes and oh, there's something starts to rise in the heart and the the quiet time goes into the cupboard and the Bible is no longer lifted out and the, the praise goes and the worship goes and my, the fire in the heart starts to burn very low and there's an Amalekite puts his hand to the throne. And God would say, go now, go now and deal with it. There's not only the mandate that he had and there's not only the mistake that he made, there's a memorial that he built. You look at verse 12. It says, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul and in the morning and it was told Samuel saying, Saul was come to, to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place. And Saul, whenever he went and he dealt with the Amalekites, he thought he had done a good job. He said, I have fulfilled the commandment of the word of the Lord. I've done everything that God told me to do. And he went down to Carmel. And you know what what he did? He built a memorial to what he thought was total obedience. And it turned out to be a memorial to partial obedience. Carmel was the place of My, that represents the flesh. It's a place of fruitfulness. And after he built the memorial, my, his soldiers would have healed him. Saul, what a victory. Everything looked all right on the outside. Oh, Saul, you've got the victory. You've dealt with the enemy at last, but he kept the king alive. And then he went down to Gilgal. And you remember whenever the children of Israel came out of Egypt? 
And the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan with Joshua, and the Ark of the Covenant went before. You know the place where they came to was Gilgal. And Gilgal was the place of rejoicing. Gilgal was the place of recommitment. Gilgal was the place by of rejoicing and release. But Saul went back to the place of regret. It was the place of past failure because it was at Gilgal in chapter 13 where Saul didn't wait on Samuel and he went back to the place of past defeat. Now I'm finished. But I wonder this morning, maybe there's someone here and the tentacles of the world has got their arms around you. And my, the tentacles of the enemy will seek to pull you down and discourage you. And things that God set you free from years ago, sir, have a hold in your life this morning. And you're almost going back to Gilgal, the place of past defeat. Thank God that there's one that can give the victory. There's one that can give the victory. Because whenever Saul failed, Samuel stood forward. I'd love to have seen him. Samuel said to Saul, he says, Saul, you've rejected the word of the Lord. You didn't do what God told you to do and he has rejected you. Bring Agag. And I can see Agag, he's skipping along there and he says, oh, praise the Lord, the, 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 the bitterness of death has passed. The word as he was laughing at Saul. He says, oh, oh, I've been, I've been preserved. Oh, I didn't die. Everyone else died. But my Saul didn't kill me. And Samuel looked at Agag in the face. He looked him square in the eyes and he says, Agag, let me tell you this. He says, your sword made many women childless and your mother's going to be childless. And he took the, he took the sword and he hewed, he hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord. And my dear believer this morning, let me tell you this, one of the old Puritans, I think it was Thomas Watson, in one of his diaries, it said this, at 10 o'clock this morning, I hewed my Agag before God. And thank God there's a word this morning. There's a sword. <laughs> there's a sword this morning that is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of the living God. It's able to pierce. It's able to divide asunder from soul and spirit and joint and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And I can tell you whenever Samuel got Agag and cut him to pieces, he was a wonderful picture of a man that climbed another hill. And he walked alone and he got to the cross. And there I can tell you, you know what he did? He dealt with the enemy and he hewed him in pieces. And he got the victory. And the Lord Jesus, what he wants to do through you and me, you know what he wants to do? That obedience that he had, and it was perfect obedience. He said, my, I have finished the work that the Father gave me to do. You know what happens whenever you and I deal with the Agag? He will come. And he will live his life of obedience through you and me. Absolute obedience. Oh, my dear people, don't let the Agag put his hand on the throne. And again, I say this morning, before we sing a hymn, it's not so much the big things that God is looking for, for many of us have dealt with those things. It's the little things. It's the little things of total and absolute obedience that God would look for and he will examine 
And there he will either approve or disapprove. And whenever, whenever Paul, and he was another Saul, whenever Paul was writing to the believers of Corinth, he said, happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allowed. And I wonder this morning, I wonder, is there things that years ago we wouldn't have allowed in our home? Things that years ago we wouldn't have allowed to go through our minds, but now we entertain them. And we've compromised, maybe it's with baptism, maybe it's with the table, whatever it may be, some area of our marriage, some area of the Word of God, and we'll say, Lord, I'll obey this area, but I'll not obey that area. And God, this morning, could be given you the last chance just to obey. Oh, my dear people, let us be people that are known by obeying, obey. For obedience is better than sacrifice. Let us pray. Yes. Father, we bow before thee this morning. And we know, Lord, that whatever is written and penned in your word has been penned aforetime for our learning. And Lord, whenever we think of this man's soul, I'm sure every one of us can identify with him again and again and again. Areas, Lord, where we've chose to obey and other areas, Lord, where we've decided secretly to compromise. And we pray this morning, Lord, that there will be no agag that will be left unchallenged. We pray this morning that there'll be no area, Lord, of compromise that would, Lord, be left untouched in our heart. Oh, that the tentacles of the world and the tentacles of sin and the tentacles in the strong hand of the flesh, Lord, would be crucified. And Lord, as that lady in Judges chapter 5, when she met the old ungodly Sisera, she got him into the tent and there she nailed him to the floor. Oh, we pray, Lord, that we would kneel. We would kneel the enemy in our heart, Lord. And if there's any area in our lives today, Lord, where we're not complying with your word, our prayer would be over this congregation collectively today, Lord, that you would reveal that to our heart. We want to obey, Lord, whatever the cost. We think of the apostles in Acts chapter 5 when they said, Oh, we ought to obey God rather than men, for he giveth the Holy Ghost to them that obey him. And we ask this morning, O oh, gracious Holy Spirit, that you would reveal any area of compromise in our heart compromise in what we would watch and compromise in what we would do on the area of our lives, Lord, where we're living in, Lord, disobedience to thy word. We ask today, Lord, oh, Father, that you'll not reject the offering of our lives. For even whenever Saul went to worship, my, he was rejected. We ask today, Lord, that you'll have every individual here from the crown of their head to the sole of their foot. Our prayer would be, Lord, that you'll use these dear people before us, Lord. Our prayer would be, Lord, that there'll not be one of them that will miss the will of God. Our prayer would be that not one of them, Lord, would forfeit the blessing of God upon their life. Oh, Father, we pray this morning. If the cross means anything, Lord, it means total obedience. Father, we pray this morning that you will part us with thy fear, and with thy blessing, 
We ask it in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. We're going to take time and stand to our feet and sing 210 in the course book, 210. And we're going to just take time to sing it prayerfully this morning. And let us think of the words and may they be the reality in our heart. Because so many of us, preacher included, can sing so many things. But we know ourselves where we are before the Lord. We know the need of our own heart. We know if we're dry. We know if there's things there that Maya are still living and still affecting our Christian life. Maya, it says here, Once I was bound by sin's galling fetters, chained like a slave, I struggled in vain, but I received a glorious freedom when Jesus broke my fetters in twain. And my dear people, before you go out of that door this morning, let me tell you that the one that died on Calvary's cross is able this morning to deal with your agag. Give him agag. Let him deal with it. Don't let him go on challenge. Don't go to Mount Gilboa from this meeting and men and women say he was a good man, he was a good preacher, he was a good member, he was a good deacon or she was a good individual, but oh, they weren't godly. Let every one of us this morning resonate in our heart and say, Lord, make me as godly as you can make me, Lord. And I can know that's the prayer of my own heart. That God would do a work. I'm tired of 2023 religion. I'm tired of it. I want to have what came out of the upper room. I want to have it. And I know God has said that on my own heart. If you want it, you can have it. But it'll mean total, total obedience. It'll cost everything, my people. But oh, that I would know him. That I would know him. I want to know him. I want this him to be my, my epitaph. And if you ever pen anything on my grave, my grave stone, if I ever go before you, pen this him on. And even the last second verse, Sharon put the second verse there just to you see. Freedom from all the carnal affections. Freedom from envy. Hatred and strife. Freedom from all the, the, the worldly affections. Freedom from all that saddens my life. What's the next verse, Sharon? Freedom from pride. My dear people, he can do that. He can set you free from pride. Freedom from love of glitter and gold. Freedom from evil temper and anger. Glorious freedom. Rapture untold. Let us stand to your feet and sing it. And then we'll part one from the other. And may the Lord bless you this morning. And we pray for you every day. You're not just people that come to this church. We, I can say this in my heart that I love. I love you. But oh, that we would go on. Let us go on. May this be the reality of our heart. Lord, make me godly. Make me godly. Make me a godly mother. Make me a godly husband. Make me a godly child. Oh, make me godly. Let us stand and sing and then we'll part.